Welcome everyone to the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. I don't have to prove anything to you. The Fantastic Geek review for Captain Marvel is brought to you by Filing Cabinet. I can't turn into that. Pete, here we are as the third day of release for Captain Marvel wraps up. We have seen a $153 million domestic opening that estimated, some smarty pants say it might even uh, round up even higher, with a $455 million worldwide take. And uh, this puts it in the uh, you know top five, top ten for worldwide openings, for uh, comic book movie openings domestically and things like that. This is an unquestionable hit for Marvel. It is, and it's time for everyone to acknowledge this was so long overdue, uh, both in Marvel and in general. Uh, the thing that I love is this is going to lead to a parade of similar projects, as you know, success always does. And the the sad, lonely little people who uh, think that we don't need this or don't want this can retreat back into the caves from whence they came. But Pete, isn't there room for any of the other non-Captain Marvel movies that have ever been made for those people? Oh wait, all those other movies still exist. Uh, this, of course, just making things a little bit better. Yes, and you need do nothing more than look at the reaction by women to this film. Matt, we have an overabundance of feedback for this podcast later on. And if you can't authentically listen to the thoughts of these women upon seeing someone on the screen uh, like them who is not over-sexualized, then you really just need to check yourself out. Well, with that, Pete, take us to the debrief. When we catch you up on what went down, and Matt, let's begin right with that importance of the long overdue Marvel's first solo female superhero film flying higher, further, faster, baby. I know I read one uh, one think piece on uh, The Hollywood Reporter, I think it was, uh, basically putting this film in context in terms of by the time Marvel figured out that they needed to have a movie like this, that they needed to start development and writing a script and hiring a director and things of that sort. A, they were already a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of the popularity of comic book movies in general in the last 10 years. Um, not that they were behind in that success, but kind of anticipating where to take it, where to take it. Uh, then also Marvel had to look at its wonderful stable of female characters and realize, oh man, so many of them are tied up in uh, the X-Men universe or otherwise at 20th Century Fox or some of the great female uh, Spider-Man characters. Uh, so... Quickly, it became, oh, and then the, the article also added to it. Uh, then there was the fact that Marvel probably didn't want to pay Scarlett Johansson money at the time to have a solo Black Widow movie. That, of course, obviously, there's been a change in that direction as well. So thus, it fell to Captain Marvel to uh, to get the process started. And here we are all those years later with the film uh, wrapping up its release seeing pictures of little girls heading to the theater you know, decked out as uh, Carol Danvers and just the general excitement, um, much like Black Panther, Matt, you know, I, I had uh, K 
kids come into my door. I had a little girl come to my door in the fall as uh, Black Panther. I'm really looking forward to next year seeing the uh, the litany of Captain's Marvel as they're heading around the neighborhood for Halloween or whatever else. This is so special. And I, I don't know why you would choose not to celebrate it again, other than fear that you as the majority will somehow wind up the minority and suddenly like the twilight zone have to acknowledge the terrible behavior people put you through, except that's not really the case. Well, let's take it, Pete, to the very beginning of the movie. And even before there was Captain Marvel movie, uh, the Marvel Studios credit here redressed with nothing but Stan Lee, uh, a, a, a knitting together of his many, many appearances there. I, I can't swear all of them, certainly, but uh, there was applause in our theater. I know there were videos online uh many of them taken down copyright violation courtesy of disney and all that but there were videos online on youtube all weekend of theaters throughout the country throughout the world seeing this appreciating this and uh starting on that that really wonderful understated tribute to stanley yeah to to take the marvel studios logo there 10 years in and to have that populated entirely instead of his heroes by him and his various cameos, really, really classy thing to do. And uh, the, the thanks, the, the first uh, Marvel Studios film since his death, going to be a little bit of a different thing for Avengers Endgame that they're working on. Um, but yeah, I think it, it really, this was a time, Matt, you know, how I chafe when people clap in a movie theater because no one, uh, there, unless you're watching with the talent, can hear you. Uh, what did I say when they cheered on Stanley? As as the applause died down, you said he can hear you. Absolutely. The movie proper opens uh, again. Pete, I have to refer to those smart people at the Hollywood Reporter. They wondered maybe it was meant to also evoke the. You know, something that recently happened in Marvel movies with dust flying. Uh, of course, the opening of this movie is a little bit of a fake out meant to have you pick up right where we left off uh, at the end of uh, of the last Avengers movie, right where we left off with the last uh, the or the mid credit scene in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, here we are with dust a falling. We're going to learn as the story unfolds that uh, this is actually the the origin of uh, of Carol Danvers of Veers, and uh, we actually are jumping straight into the middle of the movie with no concern for its place in the larger uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I think that's the really smart thing they do with this film is it's the evolution of the origin movie that we don't go to. Here's who she was as a girl, and then she grew up, and then this happened, and then she got the power. We're, we're boom right into it, but she's having these flashbacks, not knowing who she was, how it took place. And I really loved how they tipped that with this film. And let's not forget, too, Pete, that it's been a while since we had a fully original character 
get their origin story in a Marvel movie. Uh, because, you know, Black Panther, of course, introduced in Civil War. By my math, and, you know, I, I'd say, too, you know, an asterisk. Not even an asterisk. I take that back. I was going to say an asterisk for Spider-Man Homecoming. Of course, he had appeared in Civil War. Of course, his origin story goes uh, untold on screen in the MCU. We have to go back to November 4th, 2016 for the last time there was a new character introduced yeah. and that person's origin revealed to us in the form of Doctor Strange. Yeah, it's been a while. And again, all adding to that time, um, you know, that Wonder Woman beat them to this and the success and the reaction towards Wonder Woman. This this was something that needed to happen. Uh, like you said, it kicked around, you know, we go Black Widow. Do we do a Scarlet Witch movie, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and all those projects, you know, continue to be developed. But in terms of Captain Marvel, the unique challenge was, okay, well, we're going to insert her and then she's going to appear in Avengers Endgame as she does in the, the first post credit scene of this film. Where she been all this time? And here we fill in the gaps. Yes, we end up with her on Hala, uh, delightfully named planet, and uh, seeing her on a brand new mission there as uh, as a protector of the galaxy. And um, Pete, no one could anticipate, given the history of the MCU, no one could anticipate that she was surrounded by by anybody who might end up being villainous or acting villainous <laughs> or, you know, be a snake in the grass or a turncoat or none of those things are possibly going to happen in this movie. Not at all. Not with, not with Cree blood, uh, coursing through her veins, not with the, the Cree later on in the timeline of the, uh, the Marvel cinematic universe being, being such lovable people, right, Matt? <laughs> um, you, you jest, but it really is wonderful to see how this movie both operates on its own. Like, you know, you don't need the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. knowledge. You don't need the Guardians uh, of the Galaxy, uh, you know, Volume 1 knowledge for this movie to work in any way. But they're really kind of, they've simultaneously mined those connections deeply, but you're also kind of not wondering, or, or you as the outsider who might be missing out on this, it's not like, wait, I understand this is a thing, but I don't get the thing. It really is a movie that walks on its own two legs. Yeah. And again, I think the reciprocal will be true that, um, you know, girls, women who came to this movie who may have not big, big fans of the, uh, Marvel cinematic universe to this point. Oh, wait, you, you got me, uh, 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 Simmons, you got me a Jessica Jones, you know, tap into the girl power that's there and, you know, more fans of this massive film franchise now 21 movies deep. What would you like to say about the, uh, this, this mission, which ends up, uh, launching her to, uh, to the, the backwater of earth? Well, I mean, you, you hit all the, the points Early on, you know, you've got the mentor figure with Jude Law's uh, character. You've you've got the team. We have the slow motion walk up to the the uh, spaceship heading them to the mission. The mission, of course, doesn't go as planned. Um, you know, we've got all the classic Marvel, uh, you know, superhero movie beats. 
but just with a new character. And, you know, what would you really expect? You know, the, the people, the, the, the incels who were predicting, you know, destruction for this movie, okay, uh, who are sad because they just want to replace the, uh, the main character, don't understand it's the same winning formula we've had before. And I think that's worth keeping in mind. As we were watching the movie, I kind of kept saying to myself, okay, you know, we're on this general format for a Marvel movie, for, for a superhero movie. Um, and I said, oh, you know, how do I remember feeling when we saw Black Panther? And it was like, oh, well, I can't quite remember that because since Black Panther has come out, I've probably watched it eight to ten times all the way through. So I think occasionally with these movies, we're so used to what has come before, even as recently as, you know, like I've seen Ant-Man and the Wasp a whole lot less than Iron Man just by virtue of time. But I've seen Ant-Man and the Wasp two or three times, uh, particularly with, you know, at the movies and then the the you know, the streaming release and so on and so forth. So occasionally there's this settling in period where you say, oh, wait, this feels really familiar. Well, yeah, it's called the, the genre that it's in. Uh, but sure enough, we're, we're on Earth. There's that, Pete, uh, because, because I saw the, the, the preview multiple <laughs> times. I'm not that surprised by the blockbuster. It, uh, you know, of course, helps set the where and the when. Um, any metaphorical or double metaphorical take on the fact that she she shoots off the cardboard head of Arnold Schwarzenegger circa uh, True Lies, both he as the action star that the MCU has now become, and also Schwarzenegger, a guy with some past of you know, shall we say you know, ungentlemanly behavior, uh, borderline uh, inappropriate, if not you know, kind of in a Me Too movement kind of thing. He, he his behavior certainly has been recast. So any thoughts there, Pete? Every choice is intentional, including picking up the one of 84 copies of VHS that uh, that blockbuster had of the right stuff. As you say, every choice can certainly be an intentional one. Uh, pretty quickly, you know, she lands at night. Come morning after that uh, humorous interaction with the security guard, uh, we have uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. in what I assume is its infancy. Uh, with the the de-aged Fury and Coulson showing up, um, Pete neither needed much de-aging. I think we can we can charitably say, right? I, the greater thing on Coulson that's noticeable is just how much hair that he has. Um, but with both actors, in particular Samuel Jackson, just because of how much he's on the screen, it's done to tremendous effect, and I don't believe Marvel's won uh, Oscar for special effects yet. This this might be the one, Matt, that puts them over the top. Uh, I I agree with you. I don't believe that they have. I know certainly they were nominated as recently as uh, this past Oscar season. Um, I would wonder, as a side note, you know, they're using pre-existing tech for this de-aging stuff. You know, I mean, as great as it is in this movie, and Samuel L. Jackson looks flawless the entire time and i think clark Gregg looks flawless 95 percent of the time you think this is the same technology that looked so not great in tron 2 you know 10 years ago and it's something that disney in particular has stuck with and stuck with and stuck with and now it's reached a point where it's kind of like oh wait a minute they look so good now and along with 3d scans of existing people and motion capture and whatnot you know do we reach a point where 
Fury is still in these movies 50 years from now. <laughs> it's it, it's certainly, uh, you know, daunting to think about what it might mean. I know a lot of Hollywood has looked into what are the long term ramifications? Can my likeness be used after my death without uh, my estate's permission? Uh, let, let's enjoy it right now and not think about the, the creepy consequences of it. Soon enough, she's on uh, on her mission to go track down a baddie that ends up uh, putting her on public transportation in Los Angeles, if you can believe it, Pete. You know, people using the subway in L.A., I thought that Hala was a, was a weird uh, sci-fi <laughs> future. But uh, joking aside, you get the wonderful Stan Lee cameo here. He cameos as Stan Lee practicing his lines for Mall Rats. I know in our Stanley tribute episode, we talked about what is the earliest Stanley cameo that that you remember, that I remember, that people remember in general. Certainly, that Mallrats one to me is is probably ground zero. So it was this really nice moment of Stanley as Stanley. Yeah, very fitting, and they would not have obviously known at the time that they filmed that 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 would be the one after his death, but you know, that that's going to hold up and stand the test of time. The, the snake eating its tail, I think is a really special thing on top of a special movie. I think too, the little nod that she gives him again, they filmed it as it's a fun day on set and here's Stan Lee. Uh, it ends up being, you know, Marvel and Marvel's future and all that nodding, nodding back. And it's just this uh, wonderful bit of serendipity. Uh, before too long, with the the mission underway, uh, Goose the Flurkin is met and uh, you know quickly dismissed as a cat. Uh, Pete, I've read some of the uh, some of the Captain Marvel comics from from more recent times, and like I was sitting there in the movie theater going, "Wait, there was something with the cat. I don't remember what it was. It was <laughs> pregnant, or there was this." Did you and... did you get uh, Chewy the cat? Um. Uh, I honestly don't remember. Again, kind of she watching. had another cat named Chewy, which was also a flurkin. Um, and and Chewy laid quite a few eggs. The pocket universe within the uh, the flurkin that looks identical to um, a, a house cat, circa Earth, is is just a, a great thing, and it's used to you know really hysterical effect throughout this film. It is. It certainly is, and more, more uh, long-lasting effect as we uh, twice over as we will discuss as the podcast unfolds here. Um, before too long, there's the reunion uh, between uh, between Carol and friend, flying colleague Maria Rambo, and uh, and Maria's daughter as well, aka Lieutenant Trouble. Yeah, I think to have this element of the film throws it over the top in terms of the, the female friendship of the child who ultimately helps uh, by tapping her. How, how cool is uh, Captain Marvel's suit, by the way? Uh, the, the changing of color there to her classic uh, look and that that comes, you know, it's, it's one of the big contributions made by um, Maria's daughter. Uh, of course, uh, Maria Rambo lives in New Orleans. That's in part courtesy of those sweet, sweet New Orleans uh, TV and film tax write-offs and tax credits and things like that. Uh, but Pete, 
to make a movie wherever you can make a movie to to put the best product out there and certainly uh this movie did not suffer from some time spent in nolans it did not um the the one criticism i have of the film is i don't think we had enough of carol and uh, maria I want to see much more of Brie Larson and Lashana Lynch in the sequel, uh, palling around, whether it's in a current time frame, whether it's in the past missions of their own. You know, we, we see them load up in the cockpit a bunch of times. You know, we see some clips, but I, I want to see a, a full on, you know, uh, flashback and, and just see them. Again, the underrepresentation of that. How do you not hunger to see more of it instead of the, this reverse reaction of why you take my penis and show me ladies in planes? Um, as to the last point, I'll just let that I'll, I'll I let that uh, go unresponded to. Um, concerning wishing that there were minor tweaks to the story i'll just point out pete this is a movie whose story is by nicole perman and meg lafauve at least those were the original writers then added to it anna Bowden, ryan fleck and geneva robertson dworit with the screenplay credit to anna Bowden, ryan fleck those are your directors and geneva robertson dworit that is to say pete i look at five writers for the story three writers three writers for the screenplay this is probably a movie that went through several um, several drafts, as all movies do, but several directions to find exactly what what was the right fit for you know Marvel Studios presents Captain Marvel, and that's not a criticism. I'm just saying if there's some stuff where you say, "Ooh, I wish there's wish there's a little more here." Yeah. For all we know, there might have been a two hour and forty five minute cut that had a lot more, and as they edited it down to its two hours and eight minutes. Um, it was just kind of, you know, to punch up the action, punch up the story, make things clearer, or whatever it is. I, I wouldn't be surprised if come home video time, oh man, there's extra stuff or, oh, we're going to hold some of those scenes and use them for Captain Marvel too, or whatever. Yeah. That the visual storytelling of Carol at, at different ages in her life is used primarily as snippets in uh, memories as slow motion flashbacks, not as raw narrative, I think confuse people with the advertising. It's just done differently. And I really like the similar beats they play out, particularly the, the falling and getting back up, you know, the, the simple metaphor there. Um, as far as the writers are concerned, I mean, when you begin with Nicole Perlman, when you begin with somebody that was so instrumental in getting the Guardians of the Galaxy off the ground and getting this and introducing this character with a, a cosmic, uh, you know, location in the MCU. You really can't go wrong. Certainly the, the proof is in the pudding here and the success of this movie is through the roof. Uh, before too long, the story takes us to Dr. Wendy Lawson and uh, <laughs> before too long as well, Pete, the notion of her not being Dr. Wendy Lawson is uh, it's perhaps a bit more clear to the audience before it is the characters. But before too long, you know, there's there's doubles, etc. And uh, and we're off to the races and subverting the trope. I think a lot of people are like, oh, she doesn't know who this character is. It takes the place of someone who's important to you. It's her mom. It's got to be her mom. No, it, it doesn't need 
to be that way. Women can support other women, this being somebody she admired, and then tipping it once again that she's a crazy scientist who is aiding the scrawl. And indeed, Pete, as the story unfolds, the scrolls, which are presented to us as clear bad guys, you know, weirdo aliens, more alien than the, you know, the, the handsome Jude Law, uh, etc. Um, then in the narrative recast as illegal immigrants, good people, uh, just trying to find a home, uh, really kind of pushed to the fringes and marginalized by the heavy boot uh, of the Cree. And, you know, certainly a timely story. And I'll admit, Pete, not something I expected in my lady shoots lasers from her hands versus some aliens who wear contact lenses versus other aliens that have pointy ears and, you know, are half lizard. The metaphor is tremendous in that, you know, here's a scary threat that can turn into anybody, Matt. You know, it's a threat that that people are are talking about that. We, we've really got to be aware of and it, it turns out wait they're 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 like us they have families um, they've they've been kicked around they've been forced to live wherever they can and and just scavenge and you know the the people we really should fear in society are the ones who shapeshift around us who who can look just like us but inside they uh have black hearts and dirty souls you add to it the fact pete that days before we saw this movie uh i saw on youtube the honest trailer for the latest robin hood in which ben mendelson is the villain and there was a a joke in there about you know and ben mendelson always being the villain and it was a cut of him in various movies yelling yeah. or whatever it is so he's in this initially i couldn't quite place the voice and i couldn't remember like who is this bad guy i remember it being interesting then you know when you soon enough i figured it all out and it was like oh right he's the bad man from the empire he's always the bad man he was in that robin hood movies the bad man he's the bad guy then the twist no he's not and then it was like wait i'm waiting for the double twist he's actually <laughs> a bad guy and no the movie just says nope we you know, we twisted you once, that's it. He's just a guy with a family who wants to have a place to call home and not to be persecuted, the end. That There's kind of no more to it. And there's an, there's an elegance in wanting to tell that story. The design of this film, one as a period piece, and then two as a, as a science fiction story, the prosthetics here, uh, the effects when they... Uh, sim when they double the uh, the people they need to see in order to do it and then the great conversation later like all the different people you might be and then oh can you become a filing cabinet I mean it's <laughs> it's just it, it's great it's great stuff and if you like comic books why have you convinced yourself you don't like this I don't think you really understand what you like well Maybe it's from people who don't understand metaphor. Pete, maybe it's from people who understand it all too well. We do, of course, have with with Veers, with the uh, the amnesiac Carol Danvers, this Cree device which is implanted uh, into her, you know, to help keep her emotions in check, to make sure that she doesn't get too powerful, that she doesn't get too ornery, too uppity. Um, and that don't, too, something... don't show emotion, Matt, because people do not want a woman to show emotion. That's, you know, she is hysterical. 
I mean, come on. And I love, I absolutely love that it is a physical metaphor that this is placed, this inhibitor on her body that she is told by the Cree. Well, you've got to keep your emotions in check. No, emotions are who we are. Embracing them makes us more than we already can be. And that uh, the, the climax of the film so heavily delves into that, you know, on top of the, you know, just the, the simple little things, the, the hair falling in her face and fluffing it out with her, with her uh, lip, blowing it out of the way, you know, just embracing all of that. That's what this film is about. We also get the, the game of follow the bouncing pager, because of course, you know, that, that last bit of hope that we had from, uh, from the last Avengers movie where the, the page is sent out and we see her symbol and those who are in the know, you know, you're able to, you're able to wipe the tears out of your eyes and say there is hope. And those who weren't, you know, got to be educated in the last, uh, in the last 10, 11 months or so. Um, but we go from that, that I think appropriate, appropriate to the story, not just appropriate to the time. They don't just shoehorn in the pager. He <laughs> uses it enough where it becomes a thing where then it can be something that she now is going to, to augment for the purposes of, you know, the next movie. Yeah. And where these films gain that watchability to go back and, and look at these things. So yeah, he's getting pages throughout because that's what you did in 1995, right? You know, people would page you and, and you would go meet them at the, at the local uh, payphone and uh, have a conversation about what Arnold Schwarzenegger movie you were going to rent at the nearby blockbuster. <laughs> so true, Pete. So true. Uh, we also get a couple of fake outs, maybe two and as many as three fake outs regarding Fury's eye. Oh no, it's okay. Oh no, it's okay. I have to admit, Pete, I was surprised that ultimately I get that it's a flurkin, but the fact that the fact that it's, just the cat in cat mode. That's what costs him the eye. I, I was, I was surprised. I think it's great. And the stories he's told surrounding it, that it was a war wound, which it kind of is. He got scratched by an alien being and, you know, didn't pry the eye out itself, but the infection ultimately leading to it going, it, it looks like he's got, you know, some kind of blast damage there or whatever. Uh, I love uh, Colson coming to his desk with all these potential replacement eyes. I hope we get to see that at some point in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or, or something if Sam L. should ever come back. You know, oh, I, got, I still got that box of eyes from, uh, you know, the that West Coast office. We also have in that scene, uh, Fury is noodling with the Protector Initiative, uh, which I think, of course, we immediately recognize the importance there. Uh, it's then that he notices uh, for the first time, the audience sees for the first time, that uh, Carol Danvers' call sign was Avenger. And wait a minute, let's turn it into Avenger Initiative. This was maybe a moment that didn't fully land for me, in part because it was oh, like... I can't disagree more. I, I think to bring it back to her that we've now introduced her, that she got fury on this path. And I look forward to their interaction. Uh, if there can be any Matt, once, you know, people have turned into dust. I mean, come on, we know where that's going, but, um, 
you know, that she is at the forefront of all of this and this story's never been told till now, I think is a special thing. I, I, I certainly appreciate the final result. And I think that when we look back X number of years from now, and this is always the way it has been, um, I, I think it will be uh, appreciated more by me. I think kind of within the moment I kind of saw it as, Hey, we're retconning something in to have, to have a moment where maybe it wasn't naturally there, but it's a good moment nonetheless. Uh, we of course have the obligatory, uh, mid credit and post credit scenes. And, uh, the first one, I mean, no question, Pete, right out of Endgame. Yeah. Uh, that they're examining the pager that we get that handoff, um, you know, and trying to figure out what's happened to half of the life in the universe and amidst the conversation between Steve Rogers and Natasha and Banner, suddenly we get the first appearance for them of Carol Danvers. Boom. What a, what a place to leave you. What a way to tee it up inside two months, Matt in inside a, a month and change before Avengers Endgame. It'll be here before you know it, yet somehow not quickly enough. Well, how's this for throwing your your sense of time in a loop, Pete? Uh, what was the first movie that Captain Marvel appeared in? Or rather, let's put it this way. What was the first Captain Marvel appearance by Brie Larson? Was uh, Captain Marvel. <laughs> you would think so. Endgame was shot. Yeah, obviously it was back to back with Infinity War, but Endgame itself was shot um, August to Jan August uh, 2017 to January 2018. Filming for Captain Marvel started in January 2018. So we have seen the second Captain Marvel movie, if you will. This movie, Captain Marvel, handing off to a movie shot before it, which I cannot fully comprehend but that's how it was made entirely sure that's accurate pete i'm getting this from wikipedia it's never uh, been wrong i think that's less than accurate think about when there was that that marvel studios family photo that was that was uh uh november 2017 um I, again I think there was some some greater overlap than those dates. And, and then when you talk about uh, pickups and stuff like that, I mean, there were rumors as recently as last week. There continue to be some last minute pickups. Um, Endgame was wrapped Thursday or Friday. Friday, I believe, as far as editing was concerned. Um, so... I mean, whether that ultimately winds up the, the way it was, that is what it is. But um, the, the Brie Larson, that an Academy Award winning actress now originates this character, now carries it over into what will undoubtedly be the highest grossing film of the year. Or, or maybe it won't after the success of Black Panther last year beating out. Avengers Infinity War, maybe, maybe Captain Marvel continues to, to ride this, uh, that people who were not paying attention with this this weekend jump onto it, and we have that carryover effect. In between this mid credit scene and the post credit scene, Pete, there was 
somebody in our in our theater or the row in front of us having a little meltdown all i'll say is we're going to discuss that in our post-credit sequence but the movie then gets to uh to having goose the flurkin there on fury's desk a prolonged prolonged hairball ejection of of you know of course we knew what was going to come out of course it was going right. to be the tesseract and uh you know they, they like to do mid credit is serious and then end with a funny and this was a funny yeah and the, the minute the desk was visible i turned to matt and started making a, a noise <laughs> <laughs> so that he knew what would be coming um you know the the great reaction of the crowd to see this uh and and again that pocket universe the the tentacles effect out of uh, goose hope we get a whole lot more goose i hope we get chewy you know as as a as a parent of a of an animal having been named chewy no longer with us uh when i i i reflected on that information the other day that uh oh wait yes she had had that that cat that other flirk and uh really hope we get the both of them in the sequel the dossier a detailed look at our bad guys will begin, Matt, with Jan Rog, Jude Law, who is is a 100% red-blooded, blue-blooded Cree like you and me. Just a, just an all-around good guy, right? He's he's a man's man, a boy's boy. He he plays it down the middle. He eats his steak with potatoes, space potatoes. Um, yeah, I think that. It's great casting here with Jude Law because it's this is not the most meaty role in the movie. This is a this is a role that needs the charisma of someone like Jude Law to yeah. just carry it through as it's the the well-meaning big brother type figure for for the first half and then surprise surprise the gleeful British villain in the second half. Yeah, he's got that charisma and to be able to be likable early on in the in the mentor role and then just to be so petulant. My brain instantly goes to him getting his clock cleaned at the end of the movie, thrown into a ship and then told to go tell the supreme intelligence I'm coming for it. That that is for me the the takeaway of this film uh the comeuppance that he gets uh you mentioned the supreme intelligence that of course played uh or at least the way it manifests itself to to carol danvers played by annette benning uh, of course doing double duty as dr wendy lawson as well and i don't know there's something slightly creepy and obviously omnipresent by this computer force giving guidance to these people in a particularly in a telepathic way yeah, uh, a Big Brother-esque um, mentality really dug the effect, the the liquid type of uh, leads being put on the head. And then, boom, you're communing with this thing that knows everything about you and directs you on these missions and what you have to do. And And what? Too much information? A bad thing? No. <laughs> Uh, we also have Jaimon Hansu back as Korath. Uh, this is a nice little connection to to uh, the Guardians movies. And I think, too, it's a good use of characters. I'm sure he's more expensive than 
random guy in Atlanta who's going to play an alien. Uh, but it just it adds a little extra zest for a part that isn't necessarily the center or it isn't kind of the, the uh, you know, cutesy-wootsy side, you know, like a rocket raccoon or something like that. And I don't know, he just, he brings kind of a, uh, a, a dour energy to Korath uh, that, that I think the film benefits from. There's that wryness. And I know a lot of eyebrows were raised when both he and Lee Pace, who plays Ronan the Accuser, were were brought back for this film. Oh, it's a prequel and they're going to go back and include these guys. And it doesn't hinge on them. And that, I think, is, again, another strength of this film. Let's be honest. This is Brie Larson's show and it needs to be the Brie Larson show. And boy, is it ever. But that you pepper in these characters and Samuel Jackson and Clark Gregg and be able to go to them for other moments and other touchstones, again, just expands the vision and makes it that much of a better film. And I think that's particularly true with Lee Pace's Ronin, where even not knowing the connections to other movies, the fact that it's, you know, the fact that it's, hey, here's kind of force one and watch out for Ronan and force two because when they come oh man things get really really bad um it, it was a good use of that character if you need somebody to show up to be you know now the battleships have arrived let it be somebody who's familiar and somebody who for the audience has a reputation which precedes him and in retrospect it makes the threat that he represents to the guardians later on of course earlier in a film for us with um the infinity stone that he gets a hold of the the power stone um and it increases the power of captain marvel remembering that she got her power as a result of the tesseract and how she's gone toe to toe with all of these threats, whereas it took a team, Matt, to bring Ronan down. And lastly, uh, as mentioned before, we have Ben Mendelsohn as Talos. Pete, this will forever be linked in my memory that we saw Captain Marvel with its baddie turned goody Talos <laughs> the same night that we saw the iconic Star Trek Discovery episode where those characters go to Talos 4 uh, and to have watched both of those in one evening. Um, I'm always going to have a smile on my face for good old Talos and Captain Marvel. Do you think that um, Talos could sim a Talosian? I don't see why not. If he can make those big <laughs> ears go away and turn into, you know, an Asian lady's face and hair and swimsuit and whatnot, uh, yeah, Talosians, no problem. OG Talosians, re reimagined Talosians, whatever it is, Talos can do it. Well, let's remember, too, he gets to play uh, somebody high up in S.H.I.E.L.D. as well with uh, that boss of um, both uh, Coulson and uh, Fury. Director Keller this time, not Director Krennic. No Death Stars. Welcome to Level 7. Time to analyze and theorize, Matt. Pete, first one here. Will we see Captain Marvel ever again? Well, apart from Avengers Endgame? Uh, I kid, of course. You know, this, this is a character with tons of potential, both, you know, next month, right? That's literally next month. It opens at the end of April. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, one gets the sense that after Endgame, a bunch of sequels are going to be announced. 
uh, as as Marvel's future is made clear and options are, are either opened or closed. But um, we also a bit more uh, immediately from this film get some kind of trajectory for a sequel in terms of uh, a Cree fight in the past and Guardians movies. Pete, if we if we ever get any more of those, etc. I think the success of this film de-emphasizes the the sky is falling nature of oh my god you know james gunn was taken off guardians of the galaxy which is that unfortunate it absolutely is he said some really awful things and there were people that made it their cause oh you took roseanne we're gonna get your james gunn whatever uh it's still his script now uh, through development, how much that may change. Who knows? I can imagine uh, Perlman might be tasked to come back and to do a little bit more work on that and to, uh, you know, de-emphasize gun. The Hollywood stuff aside, where they're going to choose after Endgame to revisit uh, Carol Danvers is going to be really interesting. Do you continue on the path of it being a prequel, go back and tell how she ultimately destabilized uh, the the Kree Empire. Do we do this in the current day uh, with the ramifications of Endgame? I could see it going both ways. I could see a film that would maybe do each. Pete, how's about this? After Captain Marvel 2, we could do... Captain Marvel and the Guardians of the Galaxy as a threequel. I believe me, it, it's a thought that crossed my mind. And um, if that's where they went for it, I'd be fine with that. At the same time, I'd, I'd kind of prefer that each of those sequels get to be just about each of those characters. But as we've proved that the team up works Marvel has also made a decision moving forward. It's it's no longer about the super team up. It's about the mini team up. Indeed. And with probably before Endgame in the real world, that Disney Fox deal finally closing, I, I think that too, uh, plenty of plenty of opportunity for uh, for for new areas, new old areas to enter the MCU. And Pete, while we're in a theories thing, let me just get out. One more time, my theory, off tangent a bit as it might be, that uh, assuming that deal is closed by the time Endgame comes out, that we get a post-credit sequence in Endgame involving the X-Men. We'll see. I mean, there's a lot of speculation as to their slate. I mean, what do we definitively know right now? There's somehow a Spider-Man movie in in July, despite the fact that character is a pile of dust. And that would not really be two hours we'd want to spend at a movie theater with a pile of Spidey dust. (laughs) And then there is a, a big old question mark. What happens next? There's been um directorial decisions and some casting details around immortals. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of discussion about a black widow movie, a, uh, Dr. Strange sequel. Uh, we'll know very shortly if they're going to be at San Diego comic con that, uh, this year that's, uh, Marvel studios 
proper. So we'll just have to wait and see. But, but in the meantime, Matt, we have Captain Marvel, which I intend to watch a couple more times. We also can wonder as to ramifications for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., whether it's in some sort of flashback stories. We you know, saw that a little bit leading up to Agent Carter as its own series. Uh, and certainly, you know, whatever the post-Endgame Season 6 Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. looks like, you know, one does wonder what, uh, what intersections there will be. It's really interesting the way the schedule has fallen. Um, season five of um, Agents of Shield coming down to the wire as it did, and you know, nudging up against the events of Infinity War. And you know, as we were talking off mic before we started, we've we've not been on Agents of Shield in ten months. And there'll be two more to pass before we're back at it. We have May at this point. We don't know when in May. Um, although there's starting to be some circling on the calendar as to what that might look like. But um, they haven't even had the opportunity to deal with the fallout, the true fallout of Infinity War. What kind of nuggets, what kind of uh, ultimate uh, impact could a Captain Marvel play on this 13 episode season scheduled to start in May and then the renewal for the seventh. I know there's a video out there of Clark Gregg saying and final season that that's not been officially set and, and how they can use these great, uh, you know, jumps in the movie theater onto our small screens. Well, and on the topic of small screens, it's been rumored for several years that one of the mysterious uh, uh, Marvel shows being developed for ABC has been a Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel show. You know, do we see that? Has Marvel on ABC had its moment and is now passing? Is it something that uh, moves from you know a producer ABC Studios meant for ABC now meant for Disney Plus or for Hulu? Um, and does this upswelling of, of, you know, a female superhero, does anybody in the world of Marvel and Disney and TV, you know, use this as a jumping off point? I think for art to imitate life to then become art again, that's gotta happen. It's, it's time for a, uh, female role of, uh, Person of color. I mean, for all of the Wonder Woman's and the Captain Marvels we have now, okay, well, people love Okoye and people love Shuri. Let's get that character and that she's a fangirl of uh, Captain Marvel. I, I think it's just a wonderful message to, to send out there. I'd love to see it for TV. I know it seems to have changed uh, some idea that they might do that for film. I'd be fine with it in a film. I just think the better stories, the, the longer stories get told in this platinum age of TV that we're in on, you know, your, your streamers on your, the last couple that we still have on broadcast, Matt. Um, I'm fine with it either way, but let's get Ms. Marvel now. Open the mailbag. It's time to check the wire. Pete, let's start with some thoughts from our pal, Mary Kirk. Yes. Uh, somebody who's been so eager to see Captain Marvel. 
uh, been tracking it the whole time. Our super patron here, Mary Kirk, um, I had uh, left a message on her wall uh, that she collect those thoughts and her pals for her podcast on uh, Sunday here. And she started with, hey, everybody, my favorite podcast is going to do an episode on Captain Marvel this weekend. Let's give him some quotes to use from some fan ladies and gents. What do you think of it? And then she tagged a whole bunch of people here. Uh, ben Bassett begins by saying, Carol, the new captain of the MCU, was consistently presented as powerful, capable, and willing to question what others told her was true. No sexy poses, no pan-up shots, no given typical Hollywood treatment of women, and no fighting in heels. The chemistry between Brie and Samuel was fantastic and really helped sell the story. I missed several lines of the movie during my first viewing due to laughter and screaming from the audience. Not to worry, as I'll be seeing it again and possibly again after that. I think there are tie-ins to the larger MCU that have not yet been picked up on. There are several wonderful moments of nostalgia from those of us around in the 90s. I suspect there are there will be some splaining to do for those too young to catch on to those moments. I mean, I think that captures a lot of the passion around this movie and a lot of the, uh, you know, the fact that it is a good time at the movies. There's stuff that you can laugh at and stuff that you can, you know, you can feel a variety of emotions toward. This is not just a, uh, you know, this is not kind of a one note outing. Ben left a separate message here that uh, let's just put it this way. I needed to sanitize. He, he says Thanos needs to watch his back. <laughs> Kristen Alana Campbell writes, Captain Marvel is brilliant. If I recapped all the parts I loved, I'd basically just be audio describing the movie. There are a lot of traps Marvel could have fallen in, but they don't. Brie Larson is beautiful, beautiful, but she's never really sexualized in this movie besides that creep that tells her to smile. Her outfit is badass and practical. She's funny and clever without being cruel. There's just enough 90s nostalgia to be fun, but the movie doesn't get mired in trying to show you all the fun things from your childhood. They acknowledge that women have struggles and face discrimination without going straight for sexual assault or making um, those struggles the key conflict. Her main relationship is a close female friend and her daughter instead of finding a romantic love interest. And the fact that the person she admires is another smart, powerful woman is brilliant. All of this is happening in a movie it is also just smart, exciting, and fun. It's a well-thought-out plot, well-paced, beautifully shot, with a great women-led soundtrack. It's an origin story, but I love that it's not someone who gets powers and has to learn how to use them and how to be a hero. It's someone who is already a hero and now has to figure out who she is as a person. And... It's blanking magical. Sorry, I had to change that one there. It is interesting to think that we, as the superhero movie going public, are kind of post-origin story, even when we need the origin of a character. It's kind of like, don't show us, you know, 
fly, web, fly, you know, that sort of thing. And Pete, I am in no way trying to, uh, you know, uh, throw any shade between this Captain Marvel and the other former Captain Marvel that is on the DC end and the Shazam movie, which we are, I think, both looking forward to seeing. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe, you know, for different merits, but they're going to get the exact same money we spent for Captain Marvel. We're going to spend to go see Shazam and have a good old time and then et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, that's a movie that, as I'm saying this, is very much about, oh, can I fly? Can I fly? No, I can't fly. You know, we'll see. I think certainly for the Marvel end of things, we don't need to see you know, wait, what do you mean? With my new Kree powers, I can do what? Like, let's just jump on in because it's not, you can fly, it's not that special. You can shoot laser beams out of your hands, it's not that special. Here's something that is special, Pete, particularly with that last comment talking so much about uh, some of the positive gender stuff from the movie. Uh, Box Office Mojo had some stats saying that uh, the opening weekend crowd was 55% male, 45% female, which is uh, among the smallest gender divides for the MCU. That is to say, normally it's heavier male than female, right. um, but nowhere near the female crowd, uh, which was 52% for Wonder Woman back in June 2017. Uh, also, 64% of the uh, people seeing it were 25 or older. Um all of this saying this is not a movie that is um, skewing this way or that way. Right. That, that, that this has a super broad audience, um, regardless of its gender message or certainly the very, very enthusiastic women that are out there. This is not a girl movie or a boy movie. This is a Marvel movie. And these these thoughts will completely delineate that, Matt, as we go. I've read a, a number of them. Amy Williams Scott writes – I don't have anything to prove to you being one of the most true and powerful lines I have ever heard uttered by any character. He tried to take her power away by manipulating her in the way he always had, and she just noped, neatly avoiding so many tropes. They gave a woman character so much power and didn't fall into the hole of taking power away in other ways or sexualizing her to diminish the feel of it for audience comfort. They didn't write a woman hero. They wrote a powerful character who happened to be a woman. I love that. And I think the great kind of underlining there that Jan Rog searches for the, and now we fight like men kind of <laughs> showdown. And instead it's like, no, we don't. I mean, so I'm kind of engendering it a bit, but kind of this yeah. notion of, and now we box each other's ears off and whoever is the most boxing is the winner. And it's like, no, I'm the most powerful. The end. We're not going to do this by old school rules. It's just one quick blast and patch on the head and send you off to space. The end. And there's a power to that. There is. And it, it just so squarely puts the emphasis on who she is as a person, that this character is powerful, that she has the ability that she doesn't need to descend to his level Matt, you know, because uh, maleness. Mary Kirk writes, I literally screamed at the smile comment. She will pepper these these comments throughout. But uh, you and I both uh, picked up in the in the theater when you, you got the smile uh, comment. Uh, have to wonder if that was in there originally or if that was a pickup after the reaction uh, to the first trailer. Absolutely. And I mean, certainly a really great. A great moment there in the movie. 
Sarah Miscue writes, Captain Marvel is, at its heart, centered around a message that is both profound and simple. It's not our abilities that make us heroes. It's our hearts. It's become painfully clear in the real world around us just how much more common it is for those who have power to use that power for selfish or uh, manipulative or just plain evil gain. It's easy to imagine having superpowers and assuming that we'd use those powers for good. But truth is that having power corrupts many who never thought they'd be capable. And it tends to happen inch by inch, line by line crossed, so that by, by the time they are a Thanos or that other brightly colored guy whose name starts with T, <laughs> they have truly convinced themselves that they are the good guy, the savior, and that whatever agenda they have really is for the good of whoever they are about to destroy. They deserve to be worshipped, damn it, and anyone who doesn't see it is blind or the enemy or screw them. Superheroes aren't superheroes because they are super or because they are powerful. They are superheroes because each time they are faced with a choice, they try to do the best they can with the power that they have been given. Carol Danvers joined Steve Rogers and Diana, which is saying a lot if you know me and know how much I adore my cap and Wonder Woman. For me, as the best examples of this, you were the most powerful person I knew, and that was long before you could shoot fire from your fists, approximate quote. That line hit me at the gut level. So did the scene where memories of failure were meant to cow her, but instead she finally remembered the part that came after the failure, the part where she got back up again every time. These are the things that separate the hero from the villain. And they are the things that elevate this movie into one of my top spots because Carol Danvers has a heart first and best. So any power becomes a tool rather than weapon in her hands. Wow. Really, really eloquently put. And I think that really gets to the core of the movie and gets to that purity of character that is Carol Danvers. Steve Blevins writes, you've already gotten some great quotes that sum up uh, my thoughts really well. It was a really well done movie from all aspects, everything from very strong characters, throwback scenes with solid music choices, also blockbuster. Plus, I love the movie she picked up. Excellent casting, too. I love that Carol was portrayed as someone who never gives up every scene from her growing up was showing how incredibly strong she is and it was relatable so many good lines too i don't have to prove anything to you no no you don't smiley emoji it was also nice to see some of the backstory evolution of characters we come to love later on trying to avoid spoilers i also enjoyed carol's sense of humor throughout all of the events she goes through that comment there makes me wonder if some of the the short-sighted opposition to this film is due to a fear of a fair meritocracy. Uh, we see Carol, of course, dealing with some some gender discrimination uh, early on in her time in the Air Force. Nay, for for much of it, right? She's told she can't be a uh, a combat pilot. Um, 
but we see she has all this potential when given a, a fair shot at, at using it. I'm reminded of uh, in, in uh, I guess, across the world, there was a feeling that there was gender discrimination in uh, high-class orchestras. And uh, in the United States, uh, a couple of the orchestras said, well, we're going to prove that there's not um, gender discrimination. We're going to do blind auditions, you know, where the people uh, auditioning are not seen by those that are being... Uh, that are you know checking out their skills like physically not seen they're behind a screen and and so on and so forth and guess what started to happen pete all of a sudden they started to realize oh my goodness we thought that we were being fair but we were not being fair now mm. there's all these women in in orchestras in blind auditions because the skill was there and it's not the people who are saying ah keep women out it was just right they were not fully aware of the potential there um and that all ties into this movie. There's tons of potential in this character and there's tons to get excited about. And I think a lot of people are, are loath to, to see there still remain inequities that we have to fix. And j just all these comments, I, I think, again, you, you cannot listen to this and not understand what this means to people. Kat Gavin writes in, Captain Marvel was delightful, a good fun time. It was a good reprieve from a lot of the dark superhero movies out recently while still touching on serious modern topics, in this case, persecuted refugees and the violence of imperialism. And I must admit, I appreciate the anti-colonialist narrative in Ragnarok and Black Panther continued here as well. My girlfriend said she loved that there was no romantic arc. Not only was there no romantic arc, there was no motivation from slash threat of sexual assault, no weirdly sexualized scenes, no gratuitous nudity, none of the stuff. Sorry, Kat, I got to keep our iTunes rating here. I come to expect from female characters in Hollywood movies. I love that. But it's also a mark of incredibly low, how incredibly low my standards are. Jennifer Slaw, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, writes, I especially enjoyed the themes of emotion and power. Suppression of emotion was a weapon to control Carol. And Brie Larson does an amazing job of showing the character gradually get more comfortable and realize the worth of her emotional response. When she embraces her incredible power and the depth of her feelings, she really becomes her best self. And that's a feminist theme not just because of common stereotypes of women as too emotional, but because women and men have their emotions weaponized against them by gender roles. There were a lot of small, lovable bits to this movie and lines I'll be quoting with my friends for a long time to come, and that's what the best MCUs have in, MCU films have in common. Goose and Talos were both easy favorites. There's a perfect amount of fighter pilot swagger between Carol and Monica, which is just another bit of 90s nostalgia I loved. All in all, it was great, and I, three purple hearts, Captain Marvel. Oh, 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 Jennifer also adds here, I just remember the other thing. She has hair, great hair, but when she's doing crazy action stuff, her hair actually gets mussed up. That's the realism I've been waiting for in movies for so long. Pete, I think these comments underline how, you know, I think we watched this movie with eyes open and seeing a lot of these things. Did we feel 
every last bit of this the way it spoke to some members of the female audience. No, we didn't. And we can't. <laughs> it's all the better to have this dialogue, to have this discussion, to really increase the appreciation in this movie, not because of what it means to me, but what it can mean to you or the next person or the next person. I'm empowered reading these empowered uh messages by uh you know these these women these viewers and you know I, I think it's a special thing mary kirk responded to jennifer that hair blow out of the face though and jennifer said right oh my god power hair <laughs> mary kirk writes i'm 50 my whole life i have been the girl who wanted to do things or be a girl in society in frowned upon ways Finally getting a hero who lived that same experience and kept going for what she wanted anyway, who got taunted and knocked down and used her anger because, yeah, it has made us angry to get back up and try harder. Yeah, this this is the hero I've always wanted. And then watching her kick all the behind at the end. Watching her relationship with her best friend slash sister as I sat next to my best friend slash listener in the movie. I think that you think that doesn't resonate with so many women. She wrote woman. I'm sorry. Uh, women who have uh, felt left out for their whole lives. Would I have liked it sooner? Sure. But I got a great movie and that was everything I was waiting for. And I'm almost in tears. I'm so happy about it. Well, very, very well said there, Mary. And I think that that captures what it must have been like for, I know she had a whole bunch of people, 20, 30 people who went to go see the movie with her. And 40, uh, they had 40 tickets, Matt. Wow. And, and the thing is, they're not alone like that. You know, that, that this, this was pent up. Um, and, you know, we're going to see Carol again uh, in, in uh, late April and next month. Uh, we're going to see Wonder Woman next year. Um, but, you know, this this is the thing now in Hollywood. And there's there's really two choices, Matt. You can attempt to mount uh, a, a nonsense boycott that uh, can we prove did nothing to this film. Or you can get behind it like, you know, the, the champions you should be because women are at long, long last, finally, finally getting somebody of their own to, to cheer for. Eva Mulhouse writes, for the first time in a movie, my 14-year-old daughter turned to me and said, I can see myself in her. She's been buzzing since we left the theater. I mean – that's a major factor here as well, right? And we've seen that, um, you know, whenever the MCU has done things a little differently, I think of Black Panther walking out of there, there was a young lady, uh, you know, <laughs> might have been walking out during, you know, during that last uh, scene with, uh, with uh, the Winter Soldier, but it's like, oh, that's Captain America's friend. Yeah, some story has gone on since, since uh, you know, Captain America lost his friend, but... You know, it was Black Panther that drew that young lady to the movies that night, and it's Captain Marvel with a, you know, a, a non-traditional take on these comic book characters that are drawing so many of us to the movies this weekend. 
Amy Jackson writes, watching this today with my daughter and watching Carol get back up again and again. This is the movie we needed, and I'm so glad I got to share it with my daughter today. Lily Michelle Allison left a comment on the Fantastic Geek Facebook page. She writes, there isn't much I can say about Captain Marvel that hasn't already been said. Take all of the wonderful comments that others have made and just add me to the pile. However, there was something before the movie that even before the movie even started that I would like to mention. We were the first into the theater, so we got to see everyone else that came in. Lots of kids, lots of little girls, yay, a few teenage girls. But what really stood out to me was the number of little boys that were there with their fathers slash uncles slash big brothers. This group of little boys were getting ready to see a movie about a female superhero that is done right. These little boys were not going to see a woman on the screen that was only there for male enjoyment. They were not going to see a woman on the screen that was sexualized or dumbed down. They were not going to see a woman in distress that was going to be saved by a man. No, they were getting ready to see a movie about a woman that may well be the most powerful being in the universe. A woman that never backs down, always gets up, fights till the end, flies faster, farther, and higher than anyone ever has. A woman that is there to be what she is, a hero. Maybe, just maybe, these little boys will grow up to respect women instead of objectifying them. That is at least my hope, and a girl can always dream. If I dream it enough times, maybe it will come true. I think that's an excellent observation there, and I know there was a, another comment I saw online. Again, might have been Hollywood Reporter, but it was like, uh, Captain Marvel is not going to change the world, except it might change it just a little bit. And kind of this notion of this is more than a you know laser hands lady fights aliens movie that there are all these things baked in not just for young ladies to see but young gentlemen as well teresa anderson kentner writes beautifully said i saw captain marvel today and there was a young girl in a blue captain marvel skirt bouncing with excitement as i watched the movie i was so happy for what she was seeing people working together people listening never giving up and giving their all love this movie alicia jimenez uh, replies to Lily's comments. So much of this. I was also first in for the screening I saw last night. I saw a male coach with his youth basketball team, 10 to 12 year old boys, all excited to watch Captain Marvel as their end of season celebration. Again, the crossover, uh, not even potential, the potential realized is just so, so wonderful. And uh, it, it's this affirming thing, particularly in times that can feel feel like we're maybe taking a step back now and then, particularly when it comes to some some gender views and whatnot. You know, this is a reminder that, yeah, it's just a movie where people fly around and fight aliens, but it's about more than that. And so many comments, Matt. Last one we're going to give you here. It's hard to follow via Facebook some of the different threads and replies. But Amy Brinkley writes, Lily gave her review over on Fantastic Geek. I'm not sure what I have. Uh, I have much to add to what all of you fine people 
have already said, the movie kicks. But as much as the titular character does, I'm very much identified with young Carol Danvers. And I'm thrilled to finally have a woman um, superhero who has uh, not been sexualized. I'm hopeful that the current generation of kids will learn from this movie and more like it to come. Pretty please that women and girls can be just as tough as and tougher than men and boys. And that emotions, when properly channeled, are a strength, not a weakness. Well, Pete, this entire outing to Captain Marvel, this podcast, and all our podcasts are made possible by those who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. We could not do it without you. Absolutely. The, the trip to the movie theaters here, directly funded by our patrons. So thank you again, one and all. Every uh, contribution you would make, you're going to have an opportunity to choose different levels. There's all sorts of them to choose from so thank you again one and all pete the best treat to get it's not even on patreon it's to talk to you on twitter how can people do so you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,327 followers can't be wrong and while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, on Instagram, on Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. Like all the ladies and gents you heard talking in the comments. Well, Pete, on this pop culture podcast feed we are of course going to continue to be covering god friended me this season before you know it it's march now it'll turn to april we'll be talking uh, avengers endgame before you know it it'll be may we'll be back with the mothership talking agents of shield hey don't yeah. go leave out uh, cloak and dagger in there man yeah you beat me to it in the interim we'll have cloak and dagger to look forward to as well and uh just such a wonderful time to be talking about all this along with star trek discovery as uh, as mentioned earlier in the podcast so great as always to get together with everybody to talk about the latest geeky goings on with that pete i'm gonna say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word mother flirkin So, Pete, here we are after the end credits to talk our end credits experience. There was a guy in the movies in front of us uh, who was apoplectic as he explained, mansplained, to the lady he was with about all the Tesseract continuity problems. Oh, my God. He this is so emblematic of of all movies that he would throw this it wasn't even a mini fit it was a full-on fit okay uh before the scene where goose jacks up the tesseract and um, i know this scene is coming matt does not because matt is afraid of spoilers and uh, wakes up in a cold sweat each night uh, you know fearful that i've i've told him something he shouldn't know that that Talia Agul is really in a movie and have Matt clutch his pearls. But 
uh, this dude was in full on meltdown mode and I'm hearing it and Matt is just reacting to the emotion and I'm reacting with the foreknowledge that he's about to get this and still have his underwear in a tightly wound knot. What blew my mind was, first of all, he was having the conversation so loud that he clearly wanted to be heard. We go to one of those theaters with the recliners and the extra space and whatnot. And it's it, it, Pete, it was difficult enough for me to hear the uh, laughs of joy from the lady sitting on the other side to me, let alone to have this guy mouthing off you know, for the lengthy portion between mid-credit and end-credit. And again, it's like, dude, even if you want to get all concerned about continuity, which they dealt with immediately at the end mm -hmm. of the scene, like, um, should you be loudly telling the lady that you're with while you're still at this movie where one person left? This is the lowest uh, attrition rate ever. People now understand to stay to the very end. Do you really want all these women hearing you mansplain to this lady about something that ultimately is not that important, the continuity of the Tesseract, which, oh, they worked out anyway. Yeah, and I think, again, that uh, you and I are paying attention because he's right in front of it, but uh, thankfully it didn't ruin anybody else's time at the theater, nor were they freaked out uh, having the faith in Marvel, having the faith in the storytellers as they do. Pete, did you catch what he said after Goose uh, spit up the, the Tesseract? I did not. That's because he had nothing to say. <laughs> 